0: Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Friend. I am your host, Nicholas Lorimer, and today I'm joined by Mr. Herman Pretorius. Herman, how are you doing? I'm struggling
1: with a weird cold, and I'm on a podcast with Chris Hutton, but for the rest, I'm okay. (laughs)
0: My condolences on uh, both counts. And also joining us today, Mr. Chris Hutton. Chris, how are you?
2: Doing well, thanks, Adam. I can help you with one of those, and it's not the latter. Sorry. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, But let's
0: talk about something that's not fantastic, and that is the country's financial situation. I believe we talked a little bit about this last week uh, when this note kind of came out from from Treasury, from uh, the Finance Ministry, um, with Finance Minister Inokorongkwana, really raising red flags about the state of the country's deficit. Uh, Treasury's plans for how we were going to stabilize the debt around 70% of GDP have been blown completely out of the water. And uh, the tax intake is much lower than expected, and the deficit much higher than predicted in Treasury's planning. And this note was circulated to various government departments by Enoch Konongwana's office saying, we really need to start looking at cutting government programs, putting a moratorium on hiring new people, that kind of stuff. Um, And we talked last week about how this looks like it's going to put the ANC in a difficult position. You know, are they going to pay the public sector or are they going to pay grants? Because uh, at the current rate, it looks like they might not be able to do both without some serious consequences. Well, uh, over the weekend, the ANC discussed these issues and there was a lot of pushback, apparently, according to reporting over the weekend. uh, the, The cabinet was not really that enthusiastic about this idea of cutting government programs or reining in spending or, you know, not going deeper into debt. And there was a comment given to the media by the minister in the presidency, where they said uh, that cabinet wasn't looking at cutting any government programs. The minister, she said, uh, quote, we do not want to create the impression that there is a crisis in South Africa, and that the country is going to collapse. South Africa is not going to collapse. Um, Herman, uh, this is like the political equivalent of being an ostrich and putting your head in the sand. I think.
1: No, it's, it's it's the it's it's the equivalent of being an ostrich, and then trying to find the sand, but only finding a fire, and then putting your head into that. It the the, the problem here is if. If they didn't want to create the impression that South Africa is in a the crisis, then they shouldn't have been crap at their jobs for the last 15 years. I mean, that's what created the impression, and the impression is rather accurate. It is astounding. It is truly astounding that this is the sort of rhetoric that comes in response to gorongwana's warning. Now, gorongwana has never been a fiscal hawk. Um, He has a history of not being a fiscal hawk until he actually became Minister of Finance. And then gradually he became a fiscal hawk to make sure that the fiscus is stable. So this isn't coming from some ideological point of wanting to cut government uh, expenditure to make some Thatcherite point. This is a man who has for the longest time in his political career been in favor of large state spending, if that guy starts saying, how about, you know, we pump the brakes a little bit and apply just a bit of hesitancy and, and circumspection here, then you need to know that there's actually something going massively wrong. This isn't Trevor Emanuel, who I remember a Zapierodrew with a Thatcherite hairdo and a Thatcherite handbag saying, oh, look, we're practically all Thatcherites now. This isn't the Trevor Manuel who insisted that um, we run a budget surplus for three years that happened to coincide with economic prosperity and economic growth unknown to South Africa for the last 30 years. This is a guy who really is looking at the pragmatic state of his balance sheet and coming to the same conclusions as Tito mbuweni just a few years ago when he was standing in Parliament with his bloody th- aloe vera plant, or whatever it was, and trying to explain to the rather thick ANC MPs what a sovereign debt crisis is. So we must take it from whence it comes. This is, I mean, it's serious stuff. The moment your finance minister starts saying things like, oh, by the way, government, to fund the programs we have in mind, we have to possibly put up VAT with two percentage points. I mean, then you know you're serious. And the fact that the idiots in cabinet can't actually bring themselves to realize there's a problem stems from, I think, three places. Number one, it's the National Democratic Revolution. Ideology must trump all reality. Number two, there are many sub-intelligent beings in that body that we call a cabinet. And number three, Mr. Ramaphosa himself has allowed the idea of modern monetary theory to enter and infect the economic and fiscal thinking of the presidency. So, you know, pick your poison. We've got three of those, and they're all, you know, pretty toxic to the fiscal health
0: of our country. Um, it's worth saying that, you know, the ANC is actually, for them to raise VAT really hurts them. They made a really big deal, actually, in, I think, the 90s, before they, they came into government in 94, um, even suggesting they might abolish VAT because they believed it to be a regressive tax. Uh, And now, you know, and and that's also, I think, why they held off for so long on actually raising it. Um, But they've raised it 1% to 15%. And like you say, the pressures look like they're going to only push them, uh, push maybe higher. And that's really going to hurt them with their core voters, who because everyone pays VAT on on, on stuff. Um, Chris, just as... You know, we've got the cabinet kind of saying, no, 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 There's what what are you talking about? Like, if we we cut spending, then that'll just prove that we're in a crisis, so we're not going to do that. Um, The presidency is kicking about new ideas about how to solve poverty and unemployment in the country, um, which don't fill me with a huge amount of confidence. So apparently in a presentation to various labor and business leaders recently, Uh, the presidency said that there's a plan, they're kicking about a plan that might spend 88 billion rand, which is much less than we spent on Kusile Power Plant, which if you watched the show last week, you'll know about, um, to reduce the effects of poverty and and alleviate poverty somewhat. Uh, So of this 88 billion rand, between 36 billion and 50 billion rand a year will be spent on a basic income grant, that will be given to pretty much everyone. Um, they want to subsidize food necessary for child nutrition at a cost of $2 billion, as well as seeking private sector contributions to this program. That is pretty cheap compared to the other things on this list, and that actually seems like not a terrible idea. Uh, $1.6 billion rand to support informal businesses. Who knows how oh, that's actually going to be spent? 18 billion to pay for presidential employment stimulus programs and expanded public works programs, and 15 billion to boost small business and train women and youth. Uh, Chris, is this going to pick up economic growth and end poverty in the country?
2: So on the one on the on the, on the one hand, you spend on all these programs, and on the other hand, you continue to enforce policies that eliminate all forms of economic freedom and economic growth. That that to me is not necessarily a contradiction of this government, but just where it finds itself. So you want to give people these measly grants of 350 Rand, as it is at this point in time, force people in, into dependency on the state. Then on the other hand, you're, you're frustrated that why aren't they taking this money out into the economy and spending it? What, what possibly could be stopping them or could be inhibi- inhibiting them? Maybe it's the state monopoly in electricity, the state monopoly in logistics, rigid labor laws, all that sort of thing. You know, it's this idea of a developmental state in the rhetoric and wanting to capacitate growth versus on the other hand implementing policy that is fundamentally destructive and makes economic freedom and economic growth almost impossible, as it were, the only way that you sort of navigate around it is by engaging in illicit markets uh, as it were, and completely bypassing the state that's That's not the kind of life I think that that one would hope politicians and bureaucrats want people to live, but based on their actions, perhaps it is so I don't think. I think it's trying to plaster over deeper issues. It's trying to not address root causes. Um, it 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 again points to where the state wants to be seen to be helping, but won't remove the blockages that make that would make it a developmental state in the truest sense of the word, where you would invest in infrastructure, for example, and create those enabling conditions for real economic growth uh, to happen. Especially in the current global context, where the government has to pay more on its debt high interest rates, potentially higher inflation, your money doesn't go as far as it used to whether you're an individual or whether you're the state that's borrowing. You're spending money but it's not actually being used effectively in the economy and that in the end discourages the private sector from taking on those sorts of risks, creating jobs, all that sort of thing over the the medium to long term. It's the short term fixes that those in power want to feel better about what they're doing but I don't think you address the root causes and put the country on a better footing going forward. Just tomorrow, on Tuesday, we're going to have the release of the new Economic Freedom of the World report. And from what I've read, the indications are that we continue in the wrong direction. That's not going to change just by more stimulus and welfare programs.
1: And what, 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 really, what, what's also the problem here, sorry, just to cut in there, is um, there are... Taking from the formal economy, taxing from the formal economy to pay grants a large significant uh, significant chunks of chunk of which will be spent in the informal economy where revenue collection is weak at best, so even if we grant that the things like uh, a basic income grant and so on will boost consumer activity, it boosts it in the wrong economic areas if you want to actually generate sustainable revenue-boosting economic activity and businesses. It is it is stereotypical robbing Peter to pay Paul. It is, it is inimical to value-add economic participation because they are trying to do everything they can to get money to people without actually having value added for that money. So we are getting to a point where the, we're not we're not only looking at uh, you know uh, having to cut back government uh, uh, expenditure and and having a battle about that, but also actually veering dangerously close to a hijacking of the money money supply um just so that we can be able to keep this sort of uh, uh, patronage cruel poverty trap train going it's the the ANC is if they want, to trap us into the basic makings of a hyperinflationary disaster zone
0: then they should keep doing what they're doing. What this, what this poverty alleviation program is is it's insulting. It's just setting the bar low. It's saying this is the best it's ever going to get. We're going to give you a couple hundred rand a month. We're going to pay you less than minimum wage to do an expublic, expanded public works program. And that's our plan to alleviate poverty. Not to grow the economy, not to change your life, not to bring you into the middle class. Here's some stuff before the election. Now, please vote for us. It is small-minded. It is insulting, I think, to South Africans, and it is uh, not going to work. It's going to make a few people's lives a little bit easier, but it will not solve the major social and economic problems in this country, even by a little bit. Uh, in, in fact, so uh, one of the things listed in this plan is, you know, however many billions it's going to cost for administration of each of these things, and we all know that that's going to balloon. Uh, like all these government pro, uh, programs do. Um, horrid. And the government needs to do a lot better if it actually wants to begin lifting people out of poverty and changing lives in this country.
2: Okay. okay. Sorry, Nick, just to add a last point on burying your head in the sand, it's almost as, as to trying to change the facts of reality. It's like you're ignoring missiles raining down on your submarines in your Sevastopol uh, port and uh, not imagining that those are being destroyed. On a similar scale, I think. Indeed. Okay, let us uh, move on to our next topic.
0: And this is something we have talked about quite a lot, I think, since the beginning of the year, and that is political murders. Uh, there's a special feature currently, actually, on News 24 about the number of political killings, particularly in the Nongoma uh, municipality which has seen a really bad rash of political killings recently. So about 150 politicians have been murdered in KZN since 2011, uh, almost all of them councillors, and at least 19 KZN councillors have been shot dead in the province since September. In Nongoma Municipality, which is in rural Zululand, um, the IFP is the biggest party in that in that municipality, followed by the NFP, followed by the ANC, Um, Things are looking really grim. Of the 45 members of the municipal council, the councillors, only two are not in hiding at the moment due to the rampant political killings. So uh, we've had all sorts of people shot dead, people shot dead during a church sermon. There was an ACDP councillor who had happened to. Most of the victims are either IFP or uh, in NFP or ANC councillors across the province, although there has also been an EFF councillor and an ACDP councillor have been murdered. Um, apparently, uh, people in the areas where these killings happen refer to them as tournaments, um, and that when there's a hit out on you, it's called a tournament. Uh, and there is fears that this is only going to get worse as we approach t- 2024. Now, I don't know the details of this, but according to this story, there was a court order which in this uh, nongoma municipality prohibited the nfp from holding uh, from standing in by-elections for various wards i don't know what the details of that are but the net result of this has been that because the nfp can't stand for some of the wards that it controls there's an extreme incentive um, from uh, for politicians from the ANC and, and ifp to assassinate the uh, nfp members because then they get to contest the ward without the NFP being able to stand, which is just crazy. Um, Herman, let me start again with you. What do you make of this? I mean, you know, this is not a new problem in South Africa. This is an old problem, but it does seem to be accelerating recently. And police are really not doing a great job at reining it in. Yes. I mean, that's, that's the kindest way of describing
1: police incompetence, Um, not doing much, unquote. The, This is also not a new thing to Kazum Natal. Kazum Natal has been um, the arena for political murders um, in South Africa for at least the last 50 years. Um, In the early 90s, tens of thousands of people were killed um, between the IFP and the ANC in the low-key civil war well, not so low actually, that took place between those two parties. And it is perhaps worth noting, now so close to the death of Mangasut um, and the vilification of the man, especially by, um, I can't say a rude word, uh, by people like uh, John Carlin, who wrote the book uh, Playing the Enemy, on which the Invictus film was based, who wrote, I think, such a horrific, and a factual and biased and vile write-up of Bortolezi's life, essentially, no, not essentially, in so many words, saying that he died with blood on his hands. Um, this It just illustrates the disconnect between propaganda and reality and how exquisitely brilliant the ANC was at propaganda um, around the struggle years, making the IFP out as the agitator's when there was plenty of blame to go around, because as we look at these stats, it's the IFP councillors and the IFP politicians who are the main target of these sorts of political killings, at least within Natal, of course, where they are um, a significant rival to to the ANC. But on a further point, this is an inevitable outflow of a few factors. Number one, uh, political violence that has been normalized through... Um, you know, struggle culture through the the ANC um, accepting the people's war strategy as a legitimate means of struggle, of political activism, but it is also an outflow of the patronage state where um, you have this opportunity to enter the patronage system uh, through local representation, contracts, to entrepreneurship, which of course makes that makes those nodes of entry into the patronage system um worth killing for. Um, and we've seen this in labor unions in the Northwest and in Popo, and we've seen this with councillors in uh in those provinces as well, but worst of all in Kuzma Natal, where People have bought into the culture of patronage. The idea is that if you are politically connected, you will get some bucks filtering your way from the system. But slightly connected to our first story, when the money starts running out, the patronage network doesn't flow as freely as it used to or as the expectation might have been when you dip your toe into the blood the first time. So then there's this incentive to become more aggressive in asserting and taking control of more uh, lucrative uh, points in this patronage network. And for people with very little uh, value-add skills to offer, with political connections and with uh, a culture of violence around them, uh, political assassination for political control and political patronage starts making a lot of sense. So this isn't a surprise, it's not a mystery, it's not an enigma as to why this is happening. This is the outflow of cultural political factors within the politics of the ANC, the IFP, Kuzun and the patronage state when things get bad and we start running out of money. The carcass is picked bone bare, so of course the vultures will turn on each other.
0: Right. And of course, you know, it goes without saying that democracy can't function at all when people are getting murdered. Um, How are you supposed to hold your councillors to account if they're hiding very legitimately from the threat of being murdered? Uh, And and you can imagine that, I mean, (laughs) you know, I don't know if they've been able to hold any council meetings in this municipality, but I suspect not for a while, uh, because everyone is afraid of being whacked. Chris, what do you make of this story?
2: Just to highlight two things, so the potential risk of this sort of thing increasing as we head in towards the elections next year, Um, so as the stakes increase for control of ever fewer resources, then you increase the possibility that this kind of behaviour will simply be ramped up. Um, And then just secondly, the risk for possible coalition governments and how exactly they break up these sorts of incentives and systems, I don't think it should by any means be considered an easy thing. I mean, in some metros now, like Antoine, for example, having to change the norms that have become the case over years now um, There, in terms of service delivery, but also how it's linked to patronage, to those wrong sorts of incentives, it's all about who you know in terms of if you get a contract or not, it's not about actual service delivery or merit and, and and producing good work. So there's a big opportunity there for those possible coalition partners to present viable alternatives. I think if they can convince Voters and show how maybe they've at least changed some of it where they have governed. You know, it, it shows it can show that that can make a material difference if you start to change these systems and these incentives.
0: You know, my my hot take on some of this is that actually, uh, while I think there's an, a lot of nonsense that goes on with the VIP protection budget in the country, that it's often used as status stuff. Um, particularly in cases then, but I think increasingly in the rest of the country too. It actually is a legitimate reason for, think for politicians to spend money and
1: on. Um, Nick,
0: I mean, a few weeks ago, um, there was,
1: uh, relatively reliable evidence emerged that there were plans to kidnap the wife of the Tswane mayor, Sylvia Brunk, amidst the municipal workers' strike. That is insane. It is. It is. It is insane, and it is. It's an illustration of just how far um, removed politics has become from what ordinary South Africans would consider moral behaviour. And the fact that the police is, I mean, to, on the one hand, to try and involve them in this discussion would be doing them would be paying them a compliment to think that somehow they are relevant to this crisis of this deteriorating political or body politic and that violence and murder and kidnap is just becoming part and parcel of our country's politics. It would be a compliment to them to say, oh, look, they're, they're involved. But at the same time, it is absolutely shocking that the police has as a mandate a preventative role in crime and violence. And it's very rare in criminological studies where you can exactly determine the people who will be the victims of a crime you know people want to commit one of the problems with preventative policing is you can't control who will create commit what crime against whom when we're talking about politics when we're talking about counselors in hiding we know exactly what crimes who will intend to are will are likely to be committed against whom and still and still the police fail to have to play any constructive sensible role it is ah uh, you know it is it is shameful it is shameful and there's a reckoning coming for people like bak Taylor who one day um i'm bloody sure uh that you know the 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 wheel will turn and it will grind to a pulp those people who committed and who allowed this to be committed and the the, the political big cheeses of the ANC over the last 15 years they might sleep well for now but I do pity them 10 years from now
0: Okay, let us go on to our last topic for today and this is about uh, an ongoing problem that's really been developing in Kharteng and this is the endless blaming uh, blame game being played between uh, the municipalities the city of joburg and the city of tynwald in particular and rand water and from what i understand of the situation and i'm not uh, uh, an expert by any means uh, but that most of the blame should probably land with rand water and this is once again rand water has issued a warning uh, to to the municipalities uh, i think in this case the city of joburg that um uh, there's probably going to be reduced water supply supplied to these municipalities due to, quote, high consumption levels. Um, Randwater says that an increase in usage is placing great strain not only on its sit- sit- uh, systems, but also on the Joburg water systems, and that its stations are on the, quote, brink of collapse, um, as they are currently operating at maximum capacity. Uh, they are currently level one water restrictions in Gauteng. Uh, where we're not supposed to use water in certain cases. They, the groundwater spokesperson said, you should turn off taps while brushing teeth, repair leaking taps, use sprinklers if necessary between sunrise and sunset, cover swimming pools to prevent quick water evaporation, install low flow restriction on taps at home. Now, this is really frustrating because clearly there's a bit of a problem here. I believe that this is not due to environmental problems like water, like, uh, like rain, all that kind of thing. I suspect that this is very much due to uh, uh, poor planning um, and infrastructure uh, problems. Um, I know that this problem always gets worse when there's load shedding because apparently they haven't been able to get together the resources necessary to get like generators at the pumping stations and that kind of stuff. So uh, we really do seem to be heading slowly but surely towards the possibility of water shedding in Harting to accompany our load shedding.
1: Um, Nick? Yes. Can I come first in on this story? Because I, 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 I hate, I hate with a burning passion what Rand Water has, has warned against. If they think South African or the Gauteng's water problems are the result of people not closing a tap while brushing their teeth, they haven't been to Gauteng. For the few months earlier this year, when I wasn't at the IR and I was working for a political party, I had to deal with situations in Empuleni where residents would tell me that their kids wait for cold to come during the night so that uh, water droplets can form against the walls of shacks. Under pipes dripping, so that they can put little coke cans under those dripping points, so that the um, they could have some fluid to drink the next morning. That's the level that we're dealing with here, where I can't remember what it's. It's not respiration. It's it's um, condensation, where these people are so desperate for water that they rely on condensation caused by the changes of temperature within shacks and around metal pipes to just have water. And these people tell us that we should close the taps while brushing brushing teeth as if that has any bearing on what's going wrong here. We have situations where weeks go by of raw sewage flowing into water supplies in Gauteng but we have to close our taps while brushing our teeth it is frankly it, 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 yeah i i just think to 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 uh, yeah i don't know well,
0: well, well said well said and this is exactly why i'm bringing this topic up because it feels a lot like about how escom talks about load shedding We know the causes of load shedding. We know that they're due to bad policy. We know that they're due to corruption. We know that they're due to things like that. And yet, there's so much of the messaging is focused on, well, no, actually, it's your fault because you use too much. Uh, Huge amounts of water, something like, I think, between 20 and 40% of water in most municipalities is lost due to leaks, which is purely an infrastructure problem, which should purely be uh, government's responsibility.
1: And you know what? We have... In Gauteng alone, we have lost the, the, the rate of loss of water channels to flow from the various places, even if it is for irrigation, over the last 20 years ranges between 300% and 500%. That's the level of infrastructure loss we're dealing with. And then Rand Water would come and say, sprinklers, brushing teeth, what? planet are these people living on if they think that's where you see the solution I mean it it really is just astounding sorry if I'm going into sort of three octaves higher than my usual voice but it it just is mind bogglingly moronic
0: here's here's what will happen and this happened exactly with electricity people will reduce usage and then Randwater will start to say man we're really having difficulty selling water right now this is a big problem We (laughs) we need to up the tariffs (laughs) <laughs> which is exactly what happened with electricity. Uh, Chris, final thoughts on this before we close for today.
2: No, I don't. I don't think anyone could say it better than Herman has today. And it uh, it puts pay to all the lip service around the state wants to care for people. It wants to help them. It wants to fix or alleviate some of the legacy of apartheid and colonialism, which the ANC government is now rolling out again as the reason why everything is so bad. Um, so after thirty years. That's why it hasn't managed to to help um, so many millions of South Africans with the ba- very basics of sort of a quality, quality of life that we would expect for for everyone as a, as a basic human being. Um, I think it, it ran water at the moment. It, it, the state of it indicates worse to, to come for those in Johannesburg. So don't be caught off guard by that sort of thing. It would be remiss of me with my CRA hat on to not say, don't expect this to affect you in, in more serious ways in the coming months and years, because that seems to be Johannesburg's future in general. Right, and if the opposition does take over Ghateng after the next election,
0: it is uh, this is going to be one of the things that they need to start on right away, is getting our water supplies working properly and stop uh, so we can stop having this issue. Okay, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for watching. We uh, hope that you found this show interesting, and we will be back tomorrow the Daily Friend wrap. I will not be here on the last two episodes of the week because uh, I'm going on holiday, but uh, my colleagues here will go hold down the fort in the meantime. So anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Cheerio.